So recently, I've been looking for resources to educate my own kids about money and finances. And I found something called Blue Tree Savings, which was run by someone called Will Rainey. And I noticed that Will had a book out and I love books. So I read the book and I reached out to Will on LinkedIn. And I'm pleased to welcome Will on the podcast today. So today's podcast is going to be useful for anyone who's looking to teach their kids about money. But honestly, having read the book, I think anybody could learn something from Will's book. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. As ever, this podcast is for entertainment only and does not represent any form of financial, legal or accounting advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So hi, Will. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. Do you want to just give yourself the intro and tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, no, sure. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, so my name's Will Rainey. I'm from the UK, but I haven't lived in the UK now for about eight years. So my background is I'm actually an, I'm an actuary by background. So for the listeners who don't know what that is, it's just essentially a, an accountant who loves statistics. So I was doing that for in the UK, helping very large institutions invest essentially millions of pounds in terms of where to put their money into stocks and shares or bonds or um, hedge funds, for example. Then in 2014, moved to Hong Kong to take up a role across Asia. And so we were there for five years, really enjoyed it. And then in about 2017, I was just talking to someone about my two young daughters and they said, enjoy this time with them. They only grow up once. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's true. And it had a really big impact, even though it was a kind of an obvious statement. And so my wife and I said, right, why don't we take some time off our corporate roles to spend more time with our kids while they're young? And so, yeah, so in 2019, we did that and we left uh, Hong Kong and we moved to where I am now, which is in central Vietnam, to spend more time with my kids. And what happened was when I was leaving Hong Kong, a lot of people within the financial services said, how can you afford to do that? How can you take time off work? And I just thought it was a bit of a strange question because I've been sort of saving and investing for the longest time because you kind of have this knowledge um, but it turns out I was in kind of a minority of people who are actually doing that. And so with all these people who knew about finances, because they're working in that sector, but yet weren't doing it, and I couldn't understand why. And then I kind of did some research. And a lot of it comes down to the kind of habits and behaviors you have when you're a child. And so my parents were savers. My wife's parents were savers. And so I really wanted my children to become savers so they can have this kind of opportunity that we've got now. And so I thought, right, I'm going to teach my kids. And whilst the kids are at school, I'm going to make it a bit of a project um, to teach other, help other parents teach their kids about this stuff. And it's kind of just grown and grown from there. So I started writing blogs and they started getting picked up from the likes of Financial Times. Uh, then I had a thing, trying to make it engaging for kids. So I used analogies and stories. And then after a while, I had enough little stories that I created a book and the book's going really, really well as as parents, as you say, are searching for resources, but there's just not that much out there. And so, yeah, that's like kind of my story. 
Yeah, I love it. So fascinating that you worked amongst, you know, finance professionals who were advising other people on how to manage their money, yet those same people didn't have enough to retire on despite being on what I would assume reasonably good salaries. Is that right? Yeah, so clearly it's, it's not all of them, but yeah, a lot of them just don't, especially because I think there's two things within the financial services sector. One is they do earn quite a lot of money, so therefore they don't have to worry about spending because they always have that mindset of, I just earned some more <laughs> um, and they'll get that salary. And the other piece is there is a clearly a keeping up with the Joneses. Once you're in that sector, it's a very kind of, uh, kind of powerful kind of sector in, in the kind of mindset. So they they do like to sort of show their, their prestigious. So there's a lot of heavy spending within the people who work in the financial services. And again, I'm not, I'm not generalizing everyone, but there's clearly a lot of cases like that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Now, you said that, you know, you were a saver and that allowed you to live the lifestyle that, of your choice. But there's a lot more to it than saving, isn't there? And you cover that in the book. So should we get into the book? Because I think the central part of the book is what what you call the three rules of wealth, which I love. I love this. I mean, basically, the book, which is right here, Well Thumbed, it's sort of a each chapter is like a fable, right? Like a money story. Uh, but it's underpinned by the three rules of wealth. So do you want to go through those? Because I think the three rules of wealth could be useful for kids, adults, and anyone really. Yeah. So the three rules of wealth, I, I try to just distill what I think are the three kind of bits of parents or grandparents or aunties, uncles can teach kids from a young age. I'm confident that they'll grow up to be financially healthy and wealthy. So the, the three rules are very simple. The first is to uh, spend less than you, you earn or receive. The second is to invest what you save. And the third, I'll be patient. Now, on the face of it, those three rules are very, very simple. But yet, very, very few people are actually following all three of those rules. So, so in the book, I kind of use little stories about A, just highlighting those rules. But instead of saying it in the words I just said, I try and put it into a more fun language. So I use the kind of analogy of uh, money being like seeds. And for, and for children, their objective is to grow this forest. So applying the free rules of wealth, it's kind of every time you receive some seeds, get your children to save one out of every 10. Then the second rule is to plant that seed. So that's the invest part. And the third is to let your tree grow. And that's the patience bit. And if children can kind of grasp and visualize this kind of money being like seeds and growing this financial forest, that just gives them such an advantage because A, they're seeing money into the future. They've got this other objective of money, which most kids are only ever going to see money for spending. So without someone coming in and telling them a story or talking to them about it. So this just gives them another way of saying, oh, money's not just for spending. I can use it to grow and have this financial forest and that forest will produce more seeds and kind of teaching them compound interest as well uh, via a fun analogy. Yeah, I mean, I think for the more experienced uh, finance expert there's a lot of subtleties in this book which just helped me to remind myself so talking about the seeds so you plant you plant one in ten seeds and that helps to grow for the future and essentially you're growing that money reasonably passively as in you know as is most or the, the preferred way of investing but there's some subtlety there so can we talk about chapter 11 mr lazy trees because basically mr lazy trees was someone who planted the seeds and forgot about them didn't touch them didn't fiddle with his investments didn't trade his investments and uh, he turns out to be the, the the wealthiest man of all basically right yeah uh, and this is so there's a I'm not, I'm not sure if it's ever a true story, but it's definitely a believable story. 
in real life. And it was apparently there was a, a, a report, an internal report by one of the big asset managers. And in there, they did a, a study about which people did the best in terms of their personal investments over a period of time. And then they tried to contact those people to say, what did you do? How did you get such good people? But when they reached out to them, they couldn't get hold of them. And it turns out that all the people who did really, really well had actually died. <laughs> so they hadn't done anything with their investments. But yeah, because they hadn't, they hadn't been buying and selling at the wrong time. They haven't been overly worried and cautious or taking up. And so they actually did best. And so this is something I strongly, strongly believe that and there's lots of research to show that if you are investing, the best thing to do is just do nothing. So yeah, in the story, I wanted to teach children and clearly parents this kind of tale. So I had, as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Lazy Trees, and they're trying to find out who's got these biggest trees. And yeah, the person has the biggest trees are the one is the guy who is completely lazy and, and didn't even think about it. <laughs> Whilst all the all these sort of friends were trying to feed their trees and trimming their trees and kind of trying to care for them. But all these just meant that they, they their trees didn't grow as, as large. Yeah. And I think if you're new to investing, it, you know, you might think of like red braces, Wall Street, stocks and shares, reading Financial Times, trading five times a day, buy, buy, sell, sell. But actually, as you just said, <laughs> those that set and forget and don't incur trading fees, don't incur extra fees that just destroy your returns over time can do better. Uh, so I love the Mr. Lazy Trees chapter. This is also the next, the chapter before that is about the fast growing trees. And I think this is a great intro to risk and diversification and also, you know, hype. And I'm not sure what your view on it, but at the moment, stock market record highs. Uh, we got things like Bitcoin. We got things like NFTs being sold for thousands or hundreds of thousands. So can we talk about this chapter without offending anyone who might be into Bitcoin and risky investments, which I'm not, by the way? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah. So in the book, um, I really wanted to talk about yeah, diversification, not having all your eggs in kind of one basket. So I talked about this special type of tree, which is called the, the Kingsley Kaya tree. And it just grew and grew. And everyone was kind of chopping down all their trees and trading them in for these Kingsley Kaya trees. But then a big storm does come along and it wipes out lots of trees, but pretty much all the Kingsley Kai trees get flown out to sea. And so the people who had all their money in this one type of tree kind of really upset Whereas grandpa from grandpa's fortune fables. He decided he had lots of different types of trees. So even though he lost a few, he still had many. And just turns out that after the storm, another type of tree started to do really, really well. And again, other people started to think, oh, that's going to be the best tree. But he was like, no, nope. <laughs> I've seen what's happened to these Kingsley Kai ones. I'm going to stick with my um, my kind of diversified set of different trees. So if there's a storm, if some get damaged, I'm fine. And I think that's just, just a, such a powerful piece. And I think that comes with a lot of experience. I've had worked in the financial industry, so I've seen the sort of global financial crisis happen and what happened there in terms of um, different types of companies, different types of investments. And again, 2000, uh, 1999, when tech stocks were the rage and a lot of them got wiped out in the storm. So I think it's just so, so powerful that even if you do believe in these kind of ones, so the Bitcoins, the uh, NFTs, et cetera, like, just don't put all your money in it. <laughs> just If you'd want to play a bit, do that. Um, but make sure you have a solid foundation of a, a very wide diversified set of 
preferably uh, in the stock market and keeping costs low. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I said, great introduction to risk, diversification, ignoring the noise. There's always a new get rich quick scheme coming along. And um, usually in the storm, they're the first ones to get blown down. Not financial advice, but uh, do your own research. So, um, I mean, again, there's so much subtlety. I want to talk about the missing seeds chapter because this is something which is so fundamental to investing, which is paying the right amount of tax and only the right amount of tax. And I loved the way that you illustrated it with the missing seeds. So tell us about this. Yeah. So the story, just as a quick intro, there's grandpa's when he's first starting, he wants to grow his own forest and he plants seeds in two different areas. One set of trees, so one area grows really high trees and the other one is kind of missing some trees and he doesn't understand why. And it turns out that there's in one part of the, the island, which he's on, some seed, birds are taking some of the seeds. And it's all about tax. <laughs> so it's kind of a subtle way, an interesting way, because clearly taxes are, can be notoriously boring. So when I was talking to my kids about these stories, and so having these money birds sort of picking away at some of the seeds and therefore making sure your forest doesn't grow as large. Um, but the reason I wrote that was twofold. One is to make sure that they understand that there are different places where you can plant your seeds and there are no money birds. So in the UK, this is your, your ISAs and your, your pension funds, et cetera, because if you keep all your seeds and they grow, you're going to get more trees and that's more wealth. But the other key element of it was I didn't want my kids to kind of grow up thinking that tax is just bad because <laughs> I, I, my pretty much most experience of people is that tax is the first thing when they get their first paycheck, they look at their pay slip and go, who's taking all my money? <laughs> and they have a very bad sort of view on it. Whereas not that I'm a socialist or anything like that, but I just want my children to know that tax isn't a bad thing. It does go to help build the schools, the roads, the, the services that we produce every day. So A, just be planned for it. Know that it's helping others. Um, but also know that the governments around the world do want people to, to be able to look after themselves and therefore give sort of tax breaks and put these areas of where you can invest your money or save your money without any money burns there. And so, yeah, so my kids kind of understand tax and know that they're going to go searching, hopefully, for places with, with no money burns. Yeah. And uh, we bang about on about this all the time on the podcast. But if you are in the UK, ISAs, you know, um, you don't pay any tax on the gains inside an ISA. Uh, it's 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 nice. Okay, so you know, you you've covered investing, you've covered saving, but there is a kind of another theme that runs through the book for me, well, which is the theme of entrepreneurship. I think, and I'm not sure. I'm sure this was deliberate, but you know, Gail's Flowers, the chapter about. Well, tell us about Gail's Flowers, and then I want to get onto Happy Farmer, Sad Farmer, because that is a great example of. I mean, basically, she goes vertical, controls supply, distribution, and sales of her product. I love that. So, is that deliberate to get? You know, are you pro entrepreneurship, or what? What's the story? Yeah, and no, I'm massively pro entrepreneurship for kids. So I kind of grew up. Uh, I knew nothing about it. So I was right. My whole uh, mindset was right, go to school, work hard, get good grades, get a good corporate job, work for that for 40 years, and then you retire. And that's <laughs> that's kind of the life, which is fine. And I've, it's like, I, I enjoyed my, my life in the corporate world. And if I go back, I'm not going to complain. But I never had that kind of opportunity. And so now I'm doing something a bit entrepreneurial and I'm enjoying it. But it's quite hard because even when we moved and we had the financial piece to, to do it, there's still this risk and I've got a family to support. And so, yeah, luckily we had that, the savings for that, but many people don't. Whereas when you're younger, you don't have all this dependence and you don't have 
all these kind of responsibilities. So actually being young and taking risks is, is a fantastic idea. So yeah, I, I strongly believe that we should be teaching kids that there is this other opportunity. You don't have to go and be an employee. You can start your own business. And it's not going to be for everyone. It's not to say everyone should become an entrepreneur. It's saying, give them a choice. And one of the main reasons for that is that when I was in Hong Kong, we had a neighbor, and he must have been about nine years old at the time. And I remember coming back to, to where we lived, and he had a, a lemonade store, and he had all his friends kind of running around, and he was doing really enjoying it. And then the next day, I said to him, what are you going to do with the money that you made from your lemonade stand? And straight away, he said, I'm going to buy more lemons. And I kind of use that kind of quote in the book, where I use it for Gail. And so I wanted, and I just thought, wow, he's got a natural talent for this. And he did. And he bought a uh, popcorn making machine, a candy floss machine. He went over the border to China and bought loads of drones and sold them to his friends. And he just enjoyed it. And he had a natural talent for it. And in schools, we sort of nurture academia, we nurture sports and arts. But some kids are going to have this natural thing about entrepreneurship. But also the last point on this is if kids learn to just do their own little business. They learn about money. They learn about sailing. They learn about dealing with other people. So there's all these other skill sets that you just are like more either financial or personal skills, which you don't learn in any other subject in school. Uh, so I think, yeah, getting kids to do that. So yeah, I wanted to have an example of in the books. So I have Gail, who's the, the granddaughter. And so she wants to start earning some money and just she can't think of any ideas, but then she comes up and starts creating um these sort of pictures made out of petals and selling them to her friends and, and making a profit out of that and seeing her money grow. So I think that was, uh, I wanted to put a real kind of real world example in there uh, for kids to kind of not just learn, but see, put it into action. Yeah. And then basically she does go vertical and, and diversify because there's a storm and stuff gets destroyed or it's a seasonal business, isn't it? And then, so she makes jam so she can sell jam in the winter. She opens a cafe to just diversify her income stream. And she also sells her own stuff directly. So she, she, she goes vertical, uh, on it. Like that girl is smart. Yeah. And that is, I think it's going to be, if I, because so the book's doing really well at the moment. And if I get the opportunity to do another one, I, so I've written a blog, uh, about, young girl who kind of grows up and again just keeps going vertical and vertical um so that's called a uh, bobber becomes a billionaire and it's on my one of my blogs and so i've got an idea to make that into another book using gail as my main protagonist and again just a bit further into that kind of area of kind of building wealth and uh, using entrepreneurship and the happy farmer and working smart as one of the chapters goes on about yeah yeah um, I want to touch on what something you said about teaching in schools in a minute, but, uh, if you're, if your kids, I don't know how old your kids are, but mine are seven, five and two. And what business would you encourage them to start? Like as an entrepreneur right now? Yes. I think, uh, I think nice ones, which are kind of social. So I like the lemonade stand bit. So yeah. my daughter's been sort of printing off bookmarks with grandpa's fortune fables written on and selling them to some of her friends to get a little bit of money through that. Because I like that. But then there's all the sort of online ones. And now, especially in the UK, there's some great uh, sort of platforms. So it's like My Pocket Skill, which allows kids to start helping other children. So it's more for sort of 13, 14 year olds to sort of help tutor or teach other younger kids and get a little bit of money for that. But yeah, so it's just kind of anything. And the good thing is that kids can be really creative. Like they're more creative than most adults. So they come up with great little ideas. So 
even when they're out and about now, my daughters are like, oh, we can make that and sell that. And I just love that because I, I would have never thought about that when I was a child. So, yeah, just finding something to to make or do. Again, they can do services stuff as well. So clearly my children try and sell to my neighbours and anyone who comes around their house, they'll, they'll offer to, to, to wash their like, little motorbike <laughs> for a small fee. So it's, it's all just finding little bits rather than having to do a whole big business. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I'm racking my brain. So, so like you, uh, when I was growing up, you know, a working class family, we, everyone we had, we knew just had jobs. No one was a, even a professional. We didn't know any doctors or anything. And we definitely didn't know any entrepreneurs. And I think it's something I'm trying to instill in my kids that you don't, like my first job was a paper round, absolutely ridiculous introduction to the world of work. I was literally just mindlessly posting newspapers through a door, making someone else a ton of money and me making none. And it was hard work. You know? Like, why did I do that? Like, I should have done something else, but I just, I never had that idea. So I'm racking my brains, uh, trying to get my kids an idea. I've got an idea. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you, but don't steal this idea. So where we live, there's lots of holiday homes and they need cleaning a lot. Like when the new people come. So I'm thinking I will, I would like loan them like 400 pounds to buy a carpet cleaner. And then they can either loan out the carpet cleaner so that the cleaners can use it because it's like 10 miles to the nearest hire shop. So no one could be bothered to drive there. So they can either loan out uh, the cleaner, easy, literally just drop it off. Someone else does the work or for a higher fee, they will come and uh, clean the house for them as well. And I think, you know, it's, I'm just trying to instill it in them, but the oldest is only seven years old. So apparently it's not allowed to like send seven year olds around to clean houses. So for now they just kind of wash my car and do some stuff around the house. But it's that kind of bit of where you're also giving them options. And I think that's just great because Again, most people will just see the, the carpet cleaner and you go around and, but yeah doing the hiring and, and stuff like that and is, is a great idea yeah tiered pricing model on the hiring you can have it hire the thing and do it yourself or you can get the experts uh, seven-year-old experts um, to, <laughs> to do it for you uh so yeah, yeah. so Love it. you know why because i never had any financial education when i was younger it sounds like your parents were savers which helped you out but otherwise not not a lot what why are we not teaching the basics in school and what can we do about that yeah so i don't know why not uh, i think there's i've heard some stories about well you need the kind of resources to do that so first of all you need teachers who are comfortable talking about finances and unfortunately most a lot of teachers are actually in debt <laughs> themselves and therefore find it very hard to then just go into a class and teach kids you should be great with money when they they don't know all the basics themselves there's also um, a piece around what actually causes children to be good with money when they're older and there's two kind of parts to that and so there's financial knowledge and so this is understanding all the concepts of money, like where does money come from? What is money? What, ha- what is debt? What is tax? Blah, blah, blah. And so that alone, there's, there's some debate whether that makes any difference. If you do have that knowledge, and I, I totally believe it does, but there's other people within the government, et cetera, who are, need more evidence that having that knowledge makes a difference. But then there's the other side, and this is all about money behaviors and actions. So this is what children do when they get money. Do they save? Do they spend? And there's not a direct correlation. Well, there hopefully is, but 
it's undecided or undefined whether just having the knowledge means that you start taking better actions. And, and you probably know within your industry that doctors, for example, are very, very knowledgeable about health, but you've got some doctors who smoke and, uh, and eat very poorly and, and overweight. So just because they've got the knowledge doesn't mean that they take the right actions. And that's the same thing with money. And so from my point of view, we need to be able to a, give children more knowledge in school, but it does come down to the parents because the parents are the ones who can instill good actions, behaviors, mindsets within uh, children about money. And money is an ongoing conversation. It's not like you have one lesson and you come out of that lesson, you're suddenly going to be amazing with money. It's all about repeating and forming uh, those types of habits. So, so while schools can do more on the knowledge side, and I hope they do, we need to still do more and more with parents to get them to help their children give pocket money if they can afford to do so, help their kids learn to save, set up an investment account so they can see money grow, et cetera, and, be, and learn to be patient, the third rule of wealth. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. It's like a multi-pronged approach. And like any education, some of it is done in school and some of it's done at home. I think as well, maybe in this country, we don't like to talk about money and especially doctors don't like to talk about money. You know, when we said we're going to launch a podcast about talking about money with doctors, everyone was like, mm, are you sure? Um, but 20,000 20, downloads a month later, doctors do want to talk about it. It's just that <clears throat> there's a bit of a barrier to talking about it. So we need to talk about the money more so that we can all move to Vietnam and uh, I can just see a reflection of a palm tree in your window. It's really bugging <laughs> me because uh, it's barely light here, despite it being about nine, nine o'clock in the morning. I think <laughs> it might get light. So, so um, that was amazing. So we've mentioned the book. Uh, I'll drop the link to the book in the show notes, but tell, where, where's the best place to get the book? Grandpa's Fortune Fables? Uh, so it's on Amazon. So um, it, at the moment, as time of recording, it's the, the number one best-selling children's money book uh, on Amazon UK. Um, congrats, congrats. Thank you very much. And yeah, no, so the feedback's really good. But if the good thing is that people are buying it and enjoying it and then coming back and buying more. So if people do enjoy it and want to buy more for friends, colleagues, uh, schools, so people are buying copies for their school libraries, then go to my website, which is bluetreesavings.com. And there's a discount on there for if you're buying five books or more um, and an extra discount if you're buying for schools because I just want to see it in every school library. So yeah, bluetreesavings.com for, for bulk orders. Love it. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've been enjoying the book and I really like what you're doing and uh, hopefully catch up with you again sometime in the future. But thanks for coming on the Medics Money Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.